Um, so last week, uh, I actually listened to part of my sermon, which I normally don't do. I don't like to hear myself talk. Um, but I was, I was reflecting on some of the, the encouragements and the challenges and that sort of thing that I was inviting all of us into. And one of the statements that I made is in relationship to the idea that we all have like these, this favorite clothing that we wear, right? And, um, but we also have new clothes that we should be wearing and breaking in instead of the old clothes that we're wearing. So kind of leaning into new things and a new way of life. And so as part of that, I asked you all to write down some, on some cards some of the things that you're struggling with, because we're coming up at the end of the church calendar, so Advent is rapidly approaching, and that's the restart of a new church calendar. And so I said, rather than do a new series in Colossians, could you please write down on cards, what are some of the things that you're wrestling with, you have questions about, what are the things that, that I don't know that I could provide answers for, but at least we could kind of cover um, and so you did that, and I first want to thank you for those of you that were able to write down on the cards that were here last week. Uh, I was, um, what's the right word? I deeply appreciated how honest you all were. Uh, to me, that's a sign of healthiness. You know, like, there were very little masks on these cards. And part of the reason why I wanted them to be anonymous is for that reason, is so that you could feel free to say, honestly, these are the things that I'm struggling with. So I, I deeply appreciate your honesty and transparency with me. Um, I had a lot of cards, and so thankfully, they kind of broke up into different little portions. So I could kind of do maybe some themes to cover, and it's not going to be comprehensive. I can't answer all the questions or all the thoughts, but I think there'll be a lot of crossover. And so this week, I know it's weird to see a dog chewing a bone, and I promise this will make sense in a little bit. I promise this has everything to do with hearing, um, but we got to get there first. But I just wanted, so I, as I was looking through all the different questions, all the things that people are wrestling through, struggling through, um, the foundational piece, I'm going to read these because they're anonymous, so nobody will know if you wrote them, but these were some of the questions that I felt were the foundation for us to jump from, okay? So one of them was, how do, how do I better listen to God? The next one was, I have a hard time softening my heart for God. How do I reorient my mind, actions, day, thoughts, word back to Christ, to have Christ at the forefront of each and every day, to communicate better with him, to listen and follow through when he talks to me? I struggle with hearing God. And what changes do God, does God wish for me in the new year, and how do I prepare for them? Do you see a theme in all of these? It's really about this relational discernment about who God is and how we hear from him. So I thought, that's probably where I need to start before I get to all the other stuff. So that's really what we're going to cover today is how do we discern what God's saying in our lives and how do we respond to it? And again, it's not comprehensive, but that's why I had to make you read three because I want you to see the, the scope of Scripture, that it's not just in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament, and they come together really well. So the first question I have for you, because you know I love my questions, is how do you view your relational interaction with God? So what I mean by that is, um, hypothetically speaking, you're in a relationship with God, right? A friendship, an intimate one. So how do you view it? What does that look like to you? Um, I was talking earlier with somebody uh, this week, and we have our own personal perceptions, and then we have these things that we think people perceive about us. So I would be really interested, how do you view your relational interaction with God, and how do you think other people think about it? 
Does that make sense? So like from outside looking in, because those are two different things. So take a moment. For my introverts, I know this is stretching you a little bit. Um, but take a moment, reflect on that. How do you view your relational interaction with God? What are the things that mark it? How do you feel about it? Where are you at with God? And then take a moment and talk about that uh, with your neighbor, please. How do you view your relational interaction with God? You moved on. Okay, I know that this is a little bit personal, a little bit vulnerable, uh, so I will start. How do I view my relational interaction with God? Well, uh, I was telling Thomas this story this morning. In my class, which is value-based leadership in the New Testament, uh, which I was really excited about until I started taking the class. <laughs> It's a really good class, but it is so challenging. And one of the things I had to do this week is uh, through an Excel spreadsheet, it had 236 questions of nuanced parts of the Bible. Like you have to guess based off of one sentence what book of the Bible it is or what's overarching theme of this Bible or who is this king in 2 Kings chapter 6, right? Um, needless to say, it was very humbling to take this test. Um, but the cool thing about it was is that the way that they did it is you would graph out all the different books. So what are your books that you're strong in? What, what you're weak in? What are the themes that you're strong in? What are the themes that you're weak in? So it's really an opportunity for growth. But at the surface level, it's like a massive kind of like undercut in my pride. It just takes my legs out. I'm like, now I'm a pastor? I don't know if I should be a pastor anymore. So it was very challenging for me. So there's, I, I was reflecting this week, there's definitely some things that I really appreciate and enjoy about my relationship with God, but I definitely see that there are places where I want to grow. Um, I would love to hear from you, for those that feel vulnerable, vulnerable enough to share, how do you view your relational interaction with God? So just, okay, cool, we'll just move on then. <laughs> So that's a sign of really good, we're, we're really healthy, huh? You know, just skip right over it. Uh, seriously. Because part of the reason why I, go ahead, I'm going to be quiet. So you've seen some growth over the past couple of years. Who else? Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah. Dave. It's been helpful for me to not, not worry so much about what other people do with that. Because I have some people I know who I, I really respect who you know, get up an hour early and sit on their knees and pray and read the Bible. I probably should do that now too. <laughs> <laughs> and that I'm not, you know, um, but but that is it's not sequestered into something, but it's 
Thank you. Anybody else? I mean, I, I already have an idea. Um, there's, you probably are very similar to me. There's some things that potentially you really enjoy about your relationship with God, and there's some things that you wish was di- were different. I mean, that's part of this journey. We, we haven't arrived. Um, and I think part of the reason why, I, especially for me as a pastor, there's always this temptation to, to feel like I need to project that I have arrived. But let me tell you, I have not, and I have test results to prove it. Um, so if, in case you need to see those, maybe pray for me about that. Um, there is, there is a, a strong potential that as I'm answering these questions or some of the underlying questions that are behind these, that this can come off as religious. So I really appreciated what you said, too, is this is not meant to be a religious sort of thing. These are things that we need to do in order to have a better relationship with God. Rather, what I'm going to say this morning are these are opportunities to lean deeper into a relationship with God. So in those places that you feel strong, keep on going. And some of those places that maybe you, don't feel, you feel weak and you don't know what to do, this is rather, I, I see it as an encouragement. That these are some things that Scripture says that we can potentially lean into to, to grow and develop that, that area of our life. But I think the core part of it is our willingness to really interact deeply with God. Um, which comes down to identity. Do you think that God really loves you? And if you think that God really loves you, then chances are you're going to believe that he wants to be with you, that he wants to spend time with you. And I think that's a core part of this, is do you believe that God loves you? If your answer is yes, this is going to be really easy. And if your answer is no, you're going to really struggle this morning. Um, In the bulletin, I bring this up every once in a while. I have written down our four questions on that underneath that what's happening portion. Um, I encourage you to spend time. I know we kind of move along, don't we? We've got two songs and pass a piece, and I talk for a little bit, and then boom, 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 boom. And I recognize that there's very little space to actually reflect on these four questions. I'll read them. What did I learn about God or faith in God that I didn't know before? What made my heart jump for joy because I knew it to be true? What challenged me because I knew it to be both true and not how I live? And what touched a raw nerve and made me go on the defensive and why? Um, If you desire to know how to better listen to God, I think this is a really good starting point to reflect on your journey with God. Why, why, why maybe you struggle to hear God? Why you feel like you struggle to hear God? Why you feel like you may struggle to know what God's saying and how to do it? Okay, so this is just a jumping off point, but I recommend, you know, I send out in the weekly email, take some time, lean into this rhythm of rest and listening and remembrance. Like how many of you are probably going to watch football today? Yeah, you can raise your hands because there's a lot of you. I mean, Thomas and I, were going to watch some rugby later today, right? I got plans too, but I also recognize that I need to take some time and really refocus and re, kind of reimagine how I'm listening to God, because I feel like I too can grow in this. I too feel disoriented sometimes. So with that encouragement, with these questions, let's talk about the first portion, which is prayer. Okay, so um, can you click uh, twice for me? So this is a question you don't need to talk about amongst yourselves, but this is kind of the core question, is how is your solitude? 
So I deeply appreciated what David said in, the, in the regards to um, it is, I don't think it's unhealthy for us to have a prayer life that is, is constant as we're doing things. Because if we're in a relationship with God, there's conversation, right? Like it's, that's how it's supposed to be, praying without ceasing. doesn't look like I'm just sitting over in that corner over there and I'm just praying for 24 hours. What it looks like is as I'm going about my day, I'm praying. But we do see something in the life of Jesus. Um, I really wish that I had taken the time to write down where the, the author that I read that, that pointed this out. But the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel, and it is fast-moving. What's really interesting, though, is that Mark is one of the gospel authors that points out how many times Jesus goes away in solitude. Isn't that interesting? The shortest gospel, which is also the fastest-moving gospel, it's Mark's just like boom, 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 crucifixion, Right? is that he takes time in his speediness to point out how frequently Jesus goes away in solitude. So, in fact, the one that I put up, the Mark 1, 35 through 39, uh, I'll just read it for us again. It says, In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Now, mind you, this is not prescriptive. So, we aren't meant to... prescribe what we're supposed to do. It's one of those days. It's one of those days. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Um, In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. I would not say that prescriptive is it needs to happen in the morning. Your solitude needs to happen in the morning. I'm not going to say that it needs to be dark outside. Okay? I'm not going to say it needs to be a deserted place. Like, you need to go find, like, a desert mother or father and go into the desert and then just drink in God. But I will say, this last portion, and there he prayed. That is absolutely something that we're supposed to imitate and model. How is your solitude? Think through your week. We got seven days in a week, 24 hours. Do not include your sleeping as solitude, okay? But think through how many instances in your week that you're alone. And I'm not talking about alone in your car. Sorry. Because what are you doing in your car usually? Driving. Is that really solitude? Yes, you're alone. Yeah, (laughs) possibly. We're on it this morning. Um, But that's not solitude. I mean, like, I I still co-sleep, so even when I'm in bed, Titus is, like, pressed up on me. And he's, like, 700 degrees. (laughs) I was reflecting on how is my solitude, and I, I can confess to you that I need to grow in my solitude. Why did Jesus, think about this, why did Jesus so frequently go away? I mean, Jesus is around people constantly. Constantly. And not just like some disciples, we're talking about multitudes of people. 
Why would Jesus go? And see, these are the important questions. Why would Jesus? Jesus, not Sean, Jesus. Why would Jesus see it so important to get away and pray? Why would he pull away from everything? I mean, think about it, especially at this time. I mean, he's healing people. Literally, the verses, I'll read them to you. This is what's happening right before he pulls away. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I mean, is that not a description of power and authority? Yet he pulls away from power, he pulls away from authority, he pulls away from people, and he leans into a prayerful relationship with God. Why? Now, if you continue on and you look through the various Gospels, you see that Jesus is really just having a dialogue with his Father. One of my favorite moments that I get with my sons is early in the morning, like when they still have kind of like the sand in their eyes, and we haven't gotten to our day where we're yelling at each other and all that kind of stuff, right? And we just have those quiet, meaningful conversations about nothing. But they're everything. When we sit aside, we look at each other, there's nothing else that's distracting us, and we just lean into love before our day gets going. And that's what I see here with Jesus. He's just leaning into this relationship of, of love with his Father. It's a perfect intimacy. Now, I know in relationships, they say, you know, you're supposed to go on date nights, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, but why? Why? Unfocused time around every other part of your life. But in this space, we set aside to focus on one another. Now, God in his perfection, he is 100% focused on all of us as individuals and as a community 100% of the time. Isn't that crazy? Like, he treats us equally in his intimacy and love. So this isn't to condemn one another. This is an encouragement. How is your solitude? Are you taking time to just get away and know the Father's heart for you? Because that's the core part of this. When we say, how do we listen to God? How do we know what God's saying to us? Well, my first question is, is how is your solitude? If you aren't getting away to know his heart, chances are you can't hear him very well. I had a moment when Thomas and I were going over uh, the song lyrics this morning. And as more and more people came, you notice I had to speak louder and louder and louder. It's really hard for Thomas to hear me because of all the noise around. What would have been ideal is if it was a quiet space and me and him could have just dialogued and checked in. Is this right? Is this right? How frequently do we do that in our relationship with God? How frequently do we set aside time to hear God's heart? So that's just something for you to consider. Um, ask yourself, what do my rhythms of listening look like? My solitude, leaning in. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that struck me, uh, can you hit two more clicks for me, Tom? Um, I, uh, one more, sorry, and then we'll go back to that one. Uh, this was uh, an article I read on ESPN. It's about DeAndre Hopkins and his mother. And you can notice, maybe, if you can see, DeAndre Hopkins is a professional football player. He plays for the Texans. And this is his mom. And you can notice, if you can see uh, DeAndre's mom, um, she can't see. She's blind. It's a tragic story, 
Um, it's a very honest and vulnerable story. I, I, I really appreciate Mina Kimes and how she, um, she told this story because it is a beautiful one. But as I was reading this, and I suggest you can find it on ESPN um, on, on their website. It's their cover story. But one of the things that struck me about their relationship, because she became blind later in life, is that every time that DeAndre scores a touchdown, and he's pretty prolific, so he scores a lot of touchdowns, is that his mom, who has DeAndre's sister sitting next to him, she's telling him all the plays and she can feel it, but when he scores a touchdown, every single time he grabs a ball and he goes to her and he gives her the ball. Every single time. And I was talking to my pastor, Todd, about this story because there were some really powerful things that I was reflecting on as a result of this. And one of the things that Todd pointed out to me is, have you ever been around somebody that's blind or deaf? Just as an example. One of the things that you'll note is that their senses are heightened. And so because DeAndre's mom doesn't have all the distractions, and she's dependent on somebody else, right? DeAndre's sister. Dependent on the help of other people, but she also sees the world differently. The ball has a different texture. It has a different smell. Sometimes we look at that and we say, well, you know, how difficult must it be for, for, you, for you to be blind? And she's, yes, it is difficult. But she's also experiencing a world that's vastly different than us. And there's ups and downs in that. But that's what I look at when I look at solitude is that she is becoming an artist of solitude. And because of that, when she holds a ball in her hand, she understands something that we don't understand. She feels a texture. She smells the smells differently. Right. That's one of the comments in the, the story was that she feels electricity when the, with the buzz of the crowd differently. And she can contrast it because she had a life with sight before and a life without sight. Right? And that's what I, I think about this a lot this week when I was thinking about solitude is solitude gives us the texture of relationship. It gives us the intimacy of relationship that we can't have with all the noise around us. That is a special shared moment between father or mother and son. And I, and I think the same is true with solitude. It is a special relationship between father and son or daughter. Um, so it is a life that's willing to maybe not see, a life that's willing to be dependent on God. I'll continue. So consider your prayer life and your solitude. The next one, if you go back uh, the other way, um, how are your scripture rhythms? So I used Deuteronomy and 2 Timothy as examples uh, for these. So one of the ways, yes, certainly prayer and intimacy and listening to God in your prayer life that's really important. But then I, I think the other thing is, is you know, we have, we have this, right? The Bible. This is not meant as condemnation. Let me say it again. This is not meant as condemnation. I was challenged this week, and, and I feel like it's important for us to be challenged. But uh, uh, if we read the Deuteronomy verses again, um, you'll see if you're familiar with Deuteronomy, is that the following book after Deuteronomy is Joshua. And so we are, we're reading this text in a time where Moses is at nearly at the end of his life. He's about to die. And it's the second giving of the law. So basically, he's reminding Israel, hey, these are all the things that are super important, and let me remind you of these important things. And one of the things that's really important is 
Scripture, these commandments that God's given, so much so that they should be tied to them physically, put on their doorposts, because they're about to enter into a new land, and life is going to be different than it was in the desert. Note, desert is a space of solitude, isn't it? So life from solitude, even though we're a bunch of people, life from solitude into you're going to be conquering a land, what does that look like? Scripture is something that you're supposed to lean into on a daily basis. Now, it's really hard to drive your car and read the Bible, right? Now, you can listen to it. You can listen to it, and I strongly recommend that. That's a great way. Scripture is meant to be audible. It used to be said before it was read. I feel like that's a tweet. It used to be said before it was read, right? (laughs) But it was an audible text, so I encourage that. Listen to your Bible. There's Bible apps that, that do that. But, but honestly, how are your scripture rhythms? How much are you reading God's word? Now, Deuteronomy teaches that this is, you know, Old Testament. This is supremely life-giving. If you want to understand the character and nature of God and what he has to say to you, read scripture. And then you see Timothy, which is all the way in the New Testament. He's a young leader of the church. And what is... Paul writing to Timothy, he's saying, now, I'm going to pause as an aside. If you look in chapter 1, verses 3, uh, all the way down to verse 7, Deuteronomy teaches that as young people, we're meant to, we should be taught God's word, right? Now, I didn't have that experience. Maybe many of you didn't have that experience, but young people are supposed to be immersed in the word of God. And as time goes on, those young people become older people, and then they have younger people called children or whatever, and then they're giving the word to them. And it's a cycle, right? And Israel, part of the issue that they have is they kept breaking the cycle. They're supposed to be teaching the law. They're supposed to be teaching God's word, and they didn't do it. And so God is constantly telling Israel, don't forget these things. These are really important. Now note in 2 Timothy, what is is Timothy a product of? I'll just read it to you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. You see that pattern? And so all Paul is effectively doing when we read verse 14, but as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, who did you learn it from, Lois and Eunice, And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you want to know what God has to say, where would be a really great place to start? Eunice got it. Lois got it. Paul got it. Timothy got it. What's really interesting, if you think through it, um, the disciples, right? Um, many of them were not known to be educated people. Huh? Fishermen, tax collectors. They were professionals in other areas, not the law, not scripture, not scribes. Have you ever read some of the words that Peter's written? Peter looks like he knows the law. Peter looks like he knows scripture. So you see this progression from people that maybe didn't know God's word as much as others to growing in God's word. It's pretty cool if you look at their progression over time. It takes time, 
But one of the ways they felt confident about their salvation was through God's word. So a great starting place is probably to read scripture. Now, this is where the dog on the bone gets really interesting. Um, go ahead and do two clicks for me. Three clicks, actually. No, right there. Okay. So for this class, it's really challenging for me. One of the books that I was tasked with reading is called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that wrote the message version of scripture, which is more like a commentary. It's all, I dropped water on it, so it actually looks like I chewed on it, which is ironic. <laughs> I did not eat this book. Um, but one of the first things that he does is he, he was a pastor for a long time in Maryland. I mean, decades and decades and decades. And he talks about his journey of, as a pastor, how does, how does he encourage people to get into the Word of God? And so he points out some really interesting things, which I've put, it, uh, put up here for you. So there's this Jewish word, Hagah, that's in Scripture. In Isaiah 31.4, it says, As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. Now I'm going to pause for a moment. How many of you have seen a dog chew a bone? And most of us, right? If you're lucky, if you've ever gone to the zoo, I don't know if you consider it lucky, but maybe every once in a while you see a lion that's chewing on meat. Now, when we eat, what do we use other than our hands? Utensils, right? We're like... Lions are cats. That's very true. Lions are cats. And we are humans, and we have thumbs, right? So we can use forks and knives and spoons and all of that kind of stuff. Do lions have any of that? I mean, we've all watched some nature shows, right? They, they make a kill, and then what happens? There's progressively fights that happen. And what do they do? They're over top of their food. Have you ever tried to take a bone from a dog? <laughs> right? Lucky we all don't have hooks for hands, I guess. This is the imagery that Isaiah is putting up, and, and it's in a different context. As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, you know, they show their teeth, they're angry, they're protective. Now, interestingly, and this is so many times throughout Scripture, the same word in Hebrew, hagah, for growls, is the same word as meditate in Joshua 1 through 8. I'll read it for you. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. Now, when I read this book and saw that, I was like, yeah, right, Eugene. You're full of it. So I went to the Hebrew, and I guess I should trust somebody that's been a pastor for like 40, 50 years, right, over me. But he's absolutely right. And I went through the text. Hagah is the same word as growls as it is to meditate. Now, if, let me talk about my scripture for reading for a lot of times. Usually I'm doing this. I'm like, okay, so now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? God, what do you, what do you require of me? Okay, thank you very much. Amen. Can you relate to that? I won't make you raise your hand. But it's like, how can I read this as quickly as possible? I'm not like a dog on a bone. But for Israel, having heard Haggah, that's what their mind would go to, is when it means to meditate on, it's to be like a dog on a bone. 
to savor it, to chew every single morsel. I mean, I know I haven't seen many of you eat chicken wings before but, um, or ribs, but we do that all the time, right? We're like, in Peru, one of the things that blew my mind was uh, people would break the bone and then eat the marrow on the inside because it has a lot of nutrients, right? This is how we're supposed to approach the text. Now, again, this is not to condemn us. It is a, a word of conviction. Are we like dogs on a bone with this? Probably not. So what does that look like for us? Well, first, we got to make space for it to happen. What does a dog do when he gets a bone? Does he eat it in front of a group of other dogs? No, it's like somehow they curl up into half their size and they get away. And then when they're done with it, what do they do? They bury it. And then they, if they remember where they buried it, they come back to it and gnaw on it some more. And it's this progression, isn't it? A meditation. The other word for this is, um, interestingly, is later on in Psalms. It could be Isaiah. The same word for growls and the same word for meditate is the cooing of a pigeon. Of like peace and rest. I love that. It goes from growls, meditate, to coo. All in one word in Hebrew. Sometimes the English language just fails us, doesn't it? But I ask you, when you consider, what does it look like? Like, these are the questions, right? How do I better listen to God? How do I reorient my minds and actions, days and thoughts back to Christ to communicate better to him, to listen and follow through, struggling with hearing God? What changes do God's wish for me in the new year, and how do I prepare for them? If we meditate on God's word, do you think that maybe we'll feel more confident in what God's saying to us? Probably. I'm going to say the only way that we're going to find out is to actually do it. So when you're going through your week and you're going through your day, and I, I'm really, I am challenged by this word. Um, one of the things that he points out is in Ezekiel and Revelations, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, when he's given a prophecy, he's given the word, and that's where this eat this book is. He's told to eat the scroll. The same thing with John in Revelation. Instead of keep on writing, he's actually told to put down his writing utensil and to actually eat the scroll that's being given to him. And it's supposed to taste as sweet as honey. And for John, though, it also makes his stomach bitter because Scripture is going to challenge you. It's going to, it's going to make your stomach turn because you realize, oh, these are these areas of my life that need to grow. Or maybe I don't understand God's love and it needs to reorient the way that he loves me. But note, why would it make your stomach bitter? Because you know God's saying something to you. Why would it taste as sweet as honey? Because you know God's saying something to you. It's causing, it's producing something internally inside of you. So again, this is an encouragement. This isn't a to-do list. For each one of us, we have to figure out what solitude looks like. For each one of us, we have to consider what does it look like to meditate over God's word. For each one of us, it means what does it look like to pass these things on to the people in our lives. But I feel confident that, I mean, if I can see God in an ESPN story, right, that as I refocus, reorient, take time in solitude, that I'll see God in different ways, in more clear ways. And then I'll have scripture to compare that with. 
Now, more could be said, but I want to pray for us, for our growling. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, and then I'll pray. Uh, one of my favorite quotes regarding um, this word, Hagah. It's by Baron Friedrich von Hugel, maybe. Probably pronounced that wrong. He says that it, meditating on Scripture is letting a very slowly dissolving lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. That it's like putting in a cough drop and just letting it melt and coat your throat. And I, I want that for all of us. So let me pray. Uh, God, I always struggle with these things because there's so much that could be said, and I'm so tempted to give a one, two, three, four, five-step sermon, but I know that this is supposed to be an encouragement, is that we are all meant to meditate on your word, that we're meant to, like you, Jesus, to imitate you and to go into places of solitude and I see a hunger and a thirst in all of us to know your word, to know your heart, to, to hear from you, to know what our life is supposed to look like in the coming year or even tomorrow or today. God, help us to reorient our spaces and rhythms. Help us to reorient what's important. Um, God, if that means that we need to get up a little bit earlier, would you give us strength? If it means to stay up a little bit later, would you give us strength? If it means saying no to something so we can say to yes to you, give us the strength to do that. Uh, the last thing I want, God, is for this to be uh, a word of condemnation, but I do pray for conviction. I, I confess that uh, I do not growl and chew your word. Um, sometimes it's an accessory to my life. And I don't know how many people can relate to that confession in this space. But God, we confess. Help us to see you, to make you first. Um, help us to be disoriented by your word. Help us to grow in spirit and in truth. Um, because I know the far-sweeping and vast implications that that has on our lives. We love you. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you for the intimacy that you provide for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.